What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. This is Resistance in Residence, where we profile artists using their gifts to change the world. This week's Resistance in Residence artist is poet, playwright, essayist, organizer, one of the founders of the Black Arts Movement, Marvin X. Marvin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, KPFA, and thank you, Kat. Thank you. Marvin, I'm so excited to ask you this question because uh, I want to start with a little bit about you and specifically where and how you grew up, what was your family like, and how were you politically developed? Well, I grew up with uh, parents in the Central Valley who published a black newspaper called the Fresno Voice. And they were conscious parents involved in the civil rights movement, specifically the NAACP. I grew up with that word ringing in my ears. And for a long time, I didn't even know what it meant. I just heard it every, seemed like every day, every day, NAACP, NAACP. But as I said, my father and mother and uncle edited and published a newspaper. So my earliest memories are coming out of my mother's womb and sitting at my father's desk as he set the type for his newspaper. And there was a picture of me that now lost sitting at sitting on top of his desk. But not long after I came out of my mother's womb at about four years old, we went to the, we would go to the drive-in theater back in those days and I saw in the newsreel this mass of people, masses of people going across that bridge out of Palestine, I guess, into Jordan. And this memory has stuck with me for, what, 75 years? It stuck with me. And I never forgot that, seeing that. And my parents, you know, I didn't ask them what was going on. I don't, and, you know, they never explained that to me. But it was 1948. And as I said, my parents were conscious. And, in fact, they had attended the peace conference in San Francisco in 1945 that established the United Nations. So I've been blessed to have conscious parents, and I'm thankful, and I give all praise to due to them. So I started writing in high school. As a matter of fact, uh, the class before me that graduated, they asked me to write the uh, the song for the for the for the graduation, the class song. So I wrote the song and, and I, I heard the song and it was, you know, kind of mind blowing to hear a whole chorus of people singing your words. 
but I experienced that. So later my parents broke up and, and uh, we ended up in Oakland and uh, my father, he, he was in real estate also. My parents were also in real estate, but he lost his fiduciary relationship due to gambling with other people's money. <laughs> so he had to reinvent himself in Oakland. So he became a florist on 7th Street in Oakland. So I lived, we lived right in the back of his shop, right at 7th and Campbell, which was, you know, in the Haiti of the Harlem of the West in Oakland. So I experienced all of that growing up, you know, bumper to bumper cars and red black restaurants and businesses and movie houses and record stores and everything that was going on in the, the black arts business district of West Oakland during the forties uh, and especially in the fifties. I also wrote in the, children's section of the Oakland Tribune. They had a children's section called Aunt Elsie's section for children. <laughs> and I wrote some little silly stuff for children in the children's section. And of course, I I attended school in uh, Oakland Elementary School at Prescott. Then I went to uh, Lowell Junior High and I just happened to live across the street from Lowell Junior High at this time. And of course it brings back memories because I remember I was at Lowell in 1955 when they killed Emmett Till and the, his brothers beat up this poor little white boy. And you know he had to be poor to be at a black school in the first place. And so I even felt sorry for the boy, but they beat him and they said with every blow, they said, this is for Emmett Till, this is for Emmett Till, this is for Emmett Till. So uh, I returned to Fresno. I didn't go to McClyman's, the School of Champions, like everybody does in West Oakland, but I went to high school in, 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 in Fresno, I returned to Fresno. And then for college, I came back and went to Merritt College. And that's where I discovered my classmates were Huey Newton and Bobby Seal, among other people. We sat in class together. So you can imagine the teacher trying to say something that we didn't agree with. Because we were well read, we read outside of class, what you call now what, study groups, peer groups. And these, these peer groups were not related to the class, to the subject matter of the class. They were just independent study groups where we were uh, gaining our revolutionary consciousness, reading such books as uh, Castro's speech, History Will Absolve Me, and Patrice Lumumba's writings, and uh, uh, Kwame Nkrumah's writings, and Ho Chi Minh's writings, and Mao Zedong's writings, and uh, Nelson Mandela's writings, and on and on and on. So this is how we became self-educated. Wasn't well, any black studies. Black studies were just in formation. So it wasn't even black studies there. So I wrote a uh, a, a short story for the uh, creative writing class at at Merritt, and it won a prize uh, as a short story, and it was later published in. Uh, 
Soul Book, which was one of the radical magazines from the from the sixties that uh, everybody who was radical in the sixties published in Soul Book. People like James Boggs and Mary Baraka and Sonia Sanchez, Oscar Torre, uh on and on and on. So I published that. That was one of my first published writings. And uh, I then went to San Francisco State and joined the Negro Students Association, <laughs> which uh, soon morphed into the Black Student Union. And that state, I was a uh, English creative writing major and I was flunking my English class because I couldn't understand the exegesis. I didn't, I didn't learn that in school in Fresno. So my professor, uh, he was a well-known uh, medievalist. Can't think of his name right now. But anyway, he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to write. He said, write what? I said, write a play. He said, well, write me a play. So I wrote my first play for his, to pass his class, Flowers for the Trash Man, which when I gave it to him, he immediately took it to the drama department and it was performed. And now it's a, it's a classic of the black literature, especially in the black arts movement. And it's been published in Black Fire and SOS, Sonia Sanchez, Black Arts Movement Reader. And Ayodele just did a film of it herself. I was about to say, yes. yep. Yes. The Lower Bottom Players have produced it on stage and in film, Absolutely. for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, if, you know... Brother Marvin, because yes. I've got limited time with you and, and, and you hold so much, you know, history. Um... I wonder if we can uh, flash forward to the Black Arts Movement and the role you played um, in the creation and expansion of the Black Arts Movement and its contributions to the Black Power Movement, right? That was was happening concurrently. Yes. Well, at San Francisco State, as I said, let's let's go back to merit and that that. Uh, Soul Book Magazine, which I said was a radical publication. Actually, it was a publication of of RAM, Revolutionary Action Movement, uh, headed by uh, Robert F. Williams and also uh, Muhammad Ahmed. So it was a RAM publication. And then when I got to San Francisco, uh, some of the brothers uh, felt that Soul Book was too radical for them, maybe because it had a Marxist line uh, ideologically, and they were more black nationalists, I guess you might say cultural nationalists even. So they published, we published a, a magazine, Black Dialogue. And Black Dialogue, uh, and remember now, we're all basically students for the most part. We're broke, broke, broke students eating popcorn for dinner. <laughs> And I mean that literally, but we uh, were able to put together this magazine, which is now uh, one of the critical journals, along with Soul Book, Black Dialogue. And then because we were getting so much poetry coming to Black Dialogue that 
brother uh, Joe Gonçalves, uh, Dean Gani, he's established the Journal of Black Poetry. And the Journal of Black Poetry became the, one of the biggest poetry journals in the world. He published, I think, over 500 poets from all over the world, from, especially from Pan-Africa, but also from Asia, Latin America, from everywhere. So uh, one of the most important things that Sobook did, aside from publishing that magazine, was a trip we made to Soledad Prison at the invitation of uh, Eldridge Cleaver, who uh, sent his, uh, his lawyer, Beverly Axelrod, to us so that we could uh, come and visit the cultural club at Soledad Prison. So we came to Soledad and made a presentation at that culture club. Now, we didn't know that this culture club was actually the beginning of the black prison movement as well as the American prison movement. It, that, that's what that was, that black culture club was actually a revolutionary organization. That was the brothers meeting in prison to like uh, Brother Kumasi, the griot of the prison movement or Black August, Kumasi would say, y'all had your revolution on the outside, we had our revolution in prison. So that's the significance of that, what you know now is Black August, that's kind of the, 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 the outgrowth of uh, how, how Black August came about. So I continued, uh, let me go back to San Francisco State. So San Francisco State produced my play and, you know, it was quite an honor for an undergraduate to have his play produced by the drama department. But, you know, my story of my life is, as you know, Kat, tone it down. <laughs> tone it down. Tone it down, Marvin. Okay? So I, I turned it up and dropped out. I dropped out of state and went to the Fillmore and with some other people like playwright Ed Bullens and Danny Glover and Vanetta McGee and uh, Huria and uh, Duncan Barber, we set up Black Arts West Theater on Fillmore Street, right there at Fillmore and Turk, across from Trees Pool Hall in an old, uh, old abandoned theater. And so we did the plays from the Black Arts Movement, the uh, uh, Flowers and uh, Baraka's plays, Ed Bullen's plays, a play by Jimmy Garrett called We Own the Night. And so this was the West Coast development of the Black Arts Movement. And at the same time, we were joined by jazz musicians, or as Baraka says, Black classical music musicians, like uh, Raphael Donald Garrett, bassist, uh, Monty Waters' band, Joshua Redmond's dad, Dewey Redmond, was part of our theater. And what these musicians taught us was what we now call ritual theater, which means what? It means in the old primitive tradition, there is no theater as such, or let's say there is no audience 
because the community is a part of the theater. It's a communal event. So we were, the musicians showed us how to do that. The musicians showed us how to come off stage and go into the audience and break that wall. And so we did that. So we, we were happy to learn that. And, 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 and what was kind of uh, strange was that when, we, when I got to New York and worked with the New Lafayette Theater, in 1968, the whole uh, drama scene was about developing and performing ritual theater, whether it was Robert Macbeth or uh, girl with the National, Barbara Antier with the National Black Theater. But of course, the man that really, really uh, exemplified Black ritual theater was Sun Ra and his mid-science orchestra because Sun Ra really put everything together from from the lights, the sound, the costume, the music, the poetry, the drama. I performed with him in New York in 68 and then I performed with him later out here when he when I came back out here and uh, I set up another theater called Black Black Educational Theater. It was on O'Farrell between uh, Fillmore and Webster, you know, old Orthodox Greek church. And Sunrise whole band was there. And they, he actually, he, uh, he did a music for the, for the musical version of Flowers for the Trash Man, which was called Take Care of Business. And we performed it at, we performed it at the uh, Harding Theater on the Visadero. And it, actually it was a, with Sunrise Band and and uh, uh, Eleanor Barnes dancers, uh, Raymond Sawyer dancers, and Sunrise dancers, and my cast and the musicians was over a cast of over fifty people. It was a five-hour concert with no intermission. Did you hear me? <laughs> I did. I did. I did. <laughs> is that we 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 because this is just a twenty-five minute interview and I cannot let you go without hearing you spit something, anything, because uh, it's all brilliant. I know you've got some stuff about Palestine right now if you wanted to spit that, but but it's totally up to you. But I definitely want to get your words. Well, here's, let me, let me do, uh, let me do the most famous poem of mine called Palestine and it's been distributed all over the Middle East. Palestine. I am not an Arab, I am not a Jew. Abraham is not my father. Palestine is not my home. But I would fight any man who kicked me out of my house to dwell in a tent. I would fight to the ends of the earth. Someone who said to me, I want your house because my father lived here 2,000 years ago. I want your land because my father lived here 2,000 years ago. Jets would not stop me from returning to my home. Uncle Tom's would not stop me. Cluster bombs would not stop me. Bullets I would defy. No man can take the house of another and expect to live in peace. There is no peace for thieves. There is no peace for those who murder for myths and ancient rituals. Wail at the wall, settle in Judea and Samaria, but fate awaits you. You will never sleep with peace. 
You will never walk without listening. I shall cross the river Jordan with justice in my hand. I shall return to Jerusalem and establish my house of peace. Thus said the Lord. We, we got time for one more. For sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. All right. Gaza concentration camp. There are those who say we must restore peace to Gaza. Peace in the concentration camp. Peace of genocide. Peace. No protests allowed. Submit to starvation, humiliation, stunted life, hell on earth. No protests. Peace. Before anything. Before justice. Before life even. Peace. Let the people of Gaza sing silent night. Holy night. All is peaceful. All is right. Under the shadow of death, let there be peace. No justice peace with boots on necks mass murder but peace at all costs hamas rockets to no avail iron dome is our gift from usa iron dome is saving our behinds from land air and sea you attack mighty mouse you are iron dome mouse look at you wow wow west peace no thought of justice just peace peace be still Y'all, that is the voice of, yes, that is the voice of the legend uh, Marvin X, uh, A Gift to Oakland. Uh, you can pick up copies of his current magazine uh, in partnership with Dr. Iodeli and Zinga, Blackbird Press at BAM House. You can also get a copy at the People's House, APTP's People's House in the Bottoms. Um, but, uh, yeah, you listen to Law and Disorder. I'm your host, Kat Brooks. This week's resistance and residence artist is poet, playwright, essayist, organizer, and one of the founders of the Black Arts Movement, Brother Marvin X. Brother, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you, KPFA, and thank you, Kat. I'll see you or talk to you soon, for sure. All right. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. Our Resistance and Residence theme music was composed by Jesse Strauss. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listeners. If you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.